You know, uh, you'd think uh, taking two campuses and combining them into one and having two services on one morning would be a simple thing, fairly straightforward. Turns out it's a little more complicated than that. And our worship teams and our tech folks have done a phenomenal job. They are here for the whole morning. We're rotating uh, teams on about once every three weeks. And if you've ever thought about being in tech or in worship, now would be a great moment to get involved. We could really use your gifts and your help, and we'd love to have you if that's something you would consider. My name is Suzanne Vogel. I am the lead pastor of MDRC at The Bridge. We're all having to get used to saying that. And uh, I was thinking this week, some of life's best moments happen in circles. Now just stop and think about that for a minute. Some of the moments that you treasure most, I bet a lot of them include circles of people. For example, I can just close my eyes and I'm back to my grandmother's house where we sat around the Sunday afternoon table eating roast beef and mashed potatoes. And it was so good, guys. Not just the food, like the people. Or maybe it's that memory of a team huddle, right? The big game, and you look each other in the eyes, and you're like, we got this. Or maybe we don't got this, but we're at least together in this moment in the huddle, right? Or maybe it's that memory of sitting around a Christmas tree opening presents, or conversations around a fire pit with friends who know you and love you. I think there's something powerful about being surrounded by people who are with you and for you. Which is also why I think it's fairly excruciating to be on the outside of circles. I mean, let's be honest, is there anything more terrifying than a junior high cafeteria? No. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, it's terrible. I mean, you know, I hate the adult version where I walk into a room and there are conversations, right? Circles happening and I look around and I think, I don't know where I fit. No wonder uh, the actor Anthony Horowitz says, the worst time to feel alone is when you are in a crowd. See, I think circles have the power to make us feel known and fake, make us feel valuable, but they also have the power to make us feel alone and outside. See, belonging is a fundamental human need, but one that I suspect we're finding it harder and harder to experience these days. Now, I don't know about you, but I got pretty used to comfy pants and takeout. Anybody else in the last 18 months? And let's be honest, watching Netflix is a lot easier than making new friends. It is much easier to sleep in than to risk re being rejected. And so in the short run, I think we've learned to sort of short circuit and take the easy way out. But I think the trouble is that's not satisfying in the long run. And I think it violates who we were created to be. And so I think God is all about circles of welcome. And I want to suggest we think about that together from the book of Mark. 
So if you have a Bible with you, open to Mark 9. We're going to start at verse 30 and go through 37. If you don't have a Bible, it's totally fine. You can follow along on the screens with me. Now, it begins, they, who, by the way, is Jesus and the disciples, left that place and passed through Galilee. Now, Jesus did not want anyone to know that, where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of humans. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Now they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. And he took a little child, whom he placed among them, and taking the child into his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this passage starts in the place where last week's passage left off. Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand that the path to rescuing humanity fundamentally involves suffering and death, not military might and political power. Now, understandably, they are still very confused. They have no mental models for a king who will be killed. And let's be honest, we don't either. So it's understandable that they are still confused. And now Mark adds, they're scared. I get that. There are some questions I don't want to ask because I know the answer isn't going to be good. So they did what most of us do when we're feeling insecure and powerless and afraid. They talked about other people. Can I get an amen in the house? See, back when I was growing up, this happened when people had coffee down at the Daylight Donut Shop or actually at the place where you got your hair cut. Today, I think we do it in maybe some of those places, but I think mostly we do it on social media, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. According to some research, 10% of our conscious thinking involves comparisons of one type or another. And I have to tell you, I read that and thought, that seems low. See, consciously or unconsciously, I think often we are working to make ourselves feel more self-confident and powerful by scrolling or clicking until we find someone whose viewpoint we can dismiss or someone whose stuff we can buy or someone whose outfit we can make fun of. And let's be honest, this week was the Met Gala. There was a lot of material this week. Here's the thing. It's not that I need to feel like I'm the greatest. I just need to feel better than the Yahoo over there. And it feels like that might be a modern problem, but it was a problem in Jesus' day as well. 
Now, we find the disciples, of course, arguing about who's the greatest, but they aren't alone. The religious leaders of that day, the research shows us and tells us, spent a lot of time arguing about who was going to be sitting where in paradise so that they could know who was the best and who was, well, quite lacking in their religiosity. Like us, they tend to use criteria that benefited them. See, there, I think there's something base in us that seeks affirmation and security by elevating ourselves. We assuage our anxiety and our insecurity by making others less. We elevate through exclusion and we stabilize ourselves through our feelings of superiority. And then Jesus comes along, gently exposes their foolishness. See, I would have probably whacked them upside the head, but Jesus does that parenting thing, right? Where he asks a question he already knows the answer to. And then he models something very different. And because we live in today in Iowa in 21st century and not in first century Palestine, I think we miss maybe the power of what Jesus does next. So I want to see if I can bring you into how shocking this is. The first thing Mark notices is that Jesus sits down. Now, in our culture, that means actually a move towards informality and uh, a, a relaxing. For example, when I get home today, when I'm done, these shoes coming off. I'm putting on comfortable clothes and I'm sitting myself in a chair. And that will be a sign, right, that I have actually taken off my teacher hat and I have become just a person. But in Jesus' day, it was the exact opposite. When Jesus sits down, he is announcing to his disciples and to us that something important is about to happen. He is actually assuming his authority when he sits down. And then he invites the disciples to join them join him, and instead of scolding or shaming them, as I would be tempted to do, he said something surprising. Okay, guys, want to be great? Do it by using your authority and your power to be hospitable. Don't work to make a place for yourself. Make a place for other people. And then he does something shocking. He brings a child to the circle. Now, today this doesn't seem that strange. Today, children are seen and heard in our culture. Men and women co-parent. In fact, today, in some ways, our culture really centers around children. And by and large, that's a good thing for everybody involved. Do not hear what I'm not saying. But in that day, in first century Palestine, Children had no legal rights, no status, and no place in society. In fact, if you were to put the pecking order of the culture, it would be men, women, servants, and children. What? Ch children were under servants? Yes! You know why? Because servants could contribute to the house. Children could not. And so children are the lowest rung on the ladder. They actually have no voice and no role. And 
men never interacted with children other than their own. For example, if they went to synagogue, it wouldn't look like this where we're all seated together. The men would have their own section. The women and children would have a different section. When they went to the marketplace, the men would gather together. The women and the children would be in a whole different area. Men and children were never in the same spaces formally, except with a man in his own home. So you can imagine the confusion, can't you, when Jesus intentionally seeks out the least likely person to be in the room. Now, I think he's giving them a concrete example of the kind of welcome that he's inviting them and us to practice. Now, historically, if you grew up in the church, whether you were in one space or another, you've maybe heard this passage talked about to talk about the importance of children's ministry. And that's good and right. But I think Jesus is making a much bigger point today. He's using a child as, a, as an example. I don't think it's an accident that Mark puts these three passages together. And so the question I think it asks us is, who are the people who have no status no place, no power, and no voice. What if Jesus was showing us that the real life and greatness we long for doesn't come from circling the wagons, but actually creating bigger circles that specifically include those who have the least amount of power? Now, I want to invite us to look real closely at verse 36 because there are three verbs that describe what Jesus does that I think actually can help us when we think about what it means to welcome other people into the circle. It begins, it says, Jesus took a little child. Now, that word in the Greek actually means to pursue. See, Jesus gets up, right? He's sitting down, he's saying, pay attention, this is important. And then he gets up and goes to find this child. Because in this culture, remember, no child is hanging out playing PlayStation next to the folks. Jesus has to get up and go. Now, the other thing that's interesting is that Jesus could have called for someone to bring him a child. And a woman or maybe a servant of the house would have done that. That's what they would have expected Jesus to do. But instead, Jesus makes an effort and goes. And I think that's because he wants his disciples and us to understand that welcome requires energy. It requires movement. And it's easy to sit around and judge other people, but real greatness comes from making the effort to pursue others who are on the edges. I saw a pretty beautiful example of this last Sunday I want to share with you. Some of you were able to be with us. We had close to 400 people out in this field out here. We had worship, and then we had inflatables, and we had food. It was beautiful after worship. It was a little chilly before, but it was beautiful afterwards. And something really beautiful happened. People brought their lawn chairs, and I started to see these conversation circles emerging. 
And interestingly enough, a very natural thing probably started to happen. All of our more, let's say mature people, uh, ended up in circles over on this side nearest the food. That's, see, that's why they're mature. They understand where the good stuff is, right? And so they were all over here chatting and talking. And then all of the young, newer families ended up over by the inflatables, which makes sense, right? Because that's where the kids are hanging out. But it was interesting because literally there was kind of this visual divide and this space in the field. And then, and then, I watched one of our more mature women get up out of her circle and walk across the field. And it was beautiful. And she ended up happening to stop and talk to Pastor Sarah. And she just said, I thought if I walked over here, I might meet someone isn't that beautiful? Think about the intentionality it took for her to get up out of her comfortable circle and her comfortable seat and walk over to maybe meet someone new. I bet you that walk was uncomfortable. I bet it took some guts. But I think it looks a lot like the kind of walk Jesus makes. Who are the people God might be asking you to cross the field or the room for? Who's standing on the edges that Jesus is inviting you to pursue? Okay, so first Jesus pursues. Next it says he places the child in the circle. Now that word to place sounds kind of stilted and well weird, right? Like Jesus just takes a child and plops him in the middle of the space. But again, um, our English word doesn't give the power that the original Greek word does. That Greek word is histemi, and it literally means to cause or make a person stand. To cause a person to keep their place. To impute or to give weight. So a better way to say this is that Jesus made a place in the circle for the child. Now, perhaps you've had somebody do this for you. My guess is you have. I have a very vivid memory of one of the times somebody did this for me. I was in my early 30s, and I was working, starting work at a new, pretty large church. Now, I had experience doing college ministry, but no formal training for pastoring. I was a young mom. I was a female. And I was preaching for the very first time. In fact, and I found out that morning that I was one of the first women to ever preach in that space. This did not help my anxiety at all. And thank goodness this was before we recorded services because I'm confident that I barely strung together three coherent sentences. I mean, it was, it was not great. Objectively, not great. And in the service, uh, there were all these folks sitting in the back, because that's what good Dutch people do, except for three folks sitting in the third row. And I finished my first service and wanted, frankly, to walk into the back hallway and cry when Bob popped up. Bob 
he sat right there. And he rushed forward, and he reached out his hand, and he grabbed my hand, and he shook it, and he said, Pastor, that was an excellent sermon. I'm so glad you're here. It was not an excellent sermon. <laughs> but he was placing me in the circle. And the whole room watched him for that. And that was the beginning of being welcomed into the circle of that church. And he leveraged his power and his credibility and lended it to me that day. Friends, that's what we're called to do. It's that picture of placing. It's the work of allyship, of using whatever resources and gifts and authority that you have, because we all have resources and gifts and authority, to help create room for other people who aren't naturally invited to the circle. See, and here's the crazy part. That child did not do anything to earn their place in the circle. Did you notice that? A child was in the circle because Jesus said, I see you, and I choose you, and I want you here. See, social science tells us that when we're left to our own devices, birds of a feather will flock together. But the gospel tells us that birds of a feather welcome birds who have less. Or watch different news channels. Or worship at different campuses. Or maybe haven't ever walked into church at all. They resist the lie that the circle needs to be smaller to protect me. And they instead look for opportunities to welcome and elevate others. Okay, so Jesus pursues, and then he places, and then the last verb says that he took that child into his arms, or he embraces. See, it's not enough for Jesus to pursue the child, place the child. He could do all those things and merely tolerate the child. Have you ever been in a room where you felt like you were tolerated? Yeah. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't just do his duty. He expresses delight. And isn't this what we all want? We all want people to whom we belong. We need safe circles where we are welcomed with open arms, where people's faces light up when they see us. And all that takes time, it means sharing life and seeing others the way Jesus sees them, but we need people who embrace us. I was recently reminded how important those kinds of circles are. The day we buried my mother-in-law, our family procession pulled up into a country cemetery in the middle of southwest Iowa, and it was a sweltering day, afternoon. And I was trying to get my composure, and as I stepped out of the truck, my phone buzzed, and it was my best friend from Michigan telling me she loved me and was praying for us. And I looked up from reading that text, and all of a sudden, coming through the cemetery, I saw my sister, who had driven three and a half hours from central Nebraska to be there. 
and I lost it a little bit and hugged her. And then as I looked up and I thought, that's Tammy Gregory. Tammy Gregory just drove three hours to be here and wasn't just here for herself. She brought you all with her. And so now I hugged her and now I'm, and then I look up and I see my brother who drove up from Kansas City walking through the graveside to be there for us and to be in our circle. Now, friends, that's a costly decision to make. See, circles don't get forged overnight, and they don't just happen. They happen over time. And I needed that circle that day. We needed that circle. We all need circles. Friends, the much easier path is to jockey for position and to protect ourselves Welcoming children and strangers and people who make us uncomfortable is really hard work. Which is, I think, why Jesus reminds us. This kind of hospitality brings us into the very presence of God. When we make room for the people on the edges, we find we've made room for Jesus. When we embrace those who don't deserve it, we are surprised to find ourselves embraced by the Spirit. Because here's the thing. See, that we Christians, we believe this weird, strange thing, that God is both one and three. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, did you notice that's a circle? It's a circle full of joy and life and perfection. And the Godhead had every reason to keep that circle closed. Because we, well... We left the circle. But instead of leaving us outside, alone and afraid, God pursued us by sending his son Jesus, who made a place for us in his death. And then the Spirit comes to embrace us so that we will go and make the circle bigger. The best things in life happen in circles. Who will you walk across the room to welcome today? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you created us to be in community, to be known and to know. And I pray that this day, even now, you would fill us with your spirit, that we might have the courage to make room for others, to pursue and place and embrace. For you have done this for us. And all God's people said, Amen.